Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Happy Thursday and welcome to The Common Good on AIM 1160. My name is Brian Fromm, uh, joined again by Ian Simpkins. Happy Thursday. Happy Valentine's Day, my man. Oh, that's so sweet of you to say that. No, it's like we've been together for a month now. It's our first <laughs> Valentine's Day. It's like our first holiday together. We've we got to take this relationship to the next level. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> we are. Whatever that means in radio parlance. Does right? that make it weird that I'm wearing a tuxedo right now? That- <laughs> <laughs> we already exchanged gifts. We're good to go. <laughs> So again, this is The Common Good. You can find old shows at 1160hope.com. Also, you can interact with us at Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You can also download the podcast anywhere you get your normal podcasts. Uh, but Ian, when we started this show, we were always like, I wonder if anyone's ever going to listen to this show. Like, <laughs> right. You know, we enjoy it. We kind of talk to each other in the microphones and go, oh, that was good. <laughs> And uh, but we've been hearing over the over the time here that more and more people are listening, not just our friends and family, but some really influential people. That's right. And so we want to just you know we want to pat ourselves on the back a little bit and uh, <laughs> share those with you. So uh, you might remember last week, uh, none other than Donald Trump talked about us in the State of the Union address. It's true. So let's hear that. But we must reject the politics of revenge, resistance, and retribution and embrace the boundless potential of cooperation, compromise, and the common good. And again, really grateful of the president to do that for wow, us. Wow, right? the boundless potential. <laughs> that, that's, that's better than a five-star rating. And, yes, that is. Mr. <laughs> president, please go online and give us a rating. And, and so we, we got that kind of stuff on the one side of the aisle, right, from the president, and now I think the people on the other side of the aisle are realizing the capital that mm. comes with with getting on the bandwagon that is the common good. Wow, that's exciting. And so recently there is a new presidential candidate, a congresswoman by the name of Amy Klobuchar. Okay. Uh, and if you saw the other day, she announced her candidacy for president in the middle of a snowstorm outside. Right, right. Uh, and she got in on the action. So no kidding. let's listen to what Amy Klobuchar said the other day. In our nation's heartland, at a time when we must heal the heart of our democracy and renew our commitment to the common good. We wow. love people committed, my wow. man. Wow, thanks for renewing your commitment <laughs> for a month-old show. <laughs> so we've got the president saying, Woo! you know, the boundless potential of the common good. We have a presidential candidate renewing her commitment. Like, uh, I'm feeling good about the show, man. The, the common good bringing people together I on both what, sides of the aisle. Like, what's next month? The Pope? 
Oh, like, boy. What do, we got, <laughs> oh, what do we have going on next month? I'll be on the lookout for that. <laughs> well, anyway, we're glad that you're joining us on this Valentine's Day. <laughs> and uh, being Valentine's Day, Ian, you and I wanted to kind of reflect a little bit about it. And I learned this today. I learned about some background about Valentine's Day. Ready? Yeah, lay it on me. So St. Valentine, he was imprisoned, beheaded, and buried in on the fe- 14th of February, 269 A.D. Yep. And the reason was that he helped persecuted Christians, and he married Christian couples. That's right. While in prison, he prayed uh, He prayed for his jailer's daughter, and her blindness was healed. No kidding. On the day of his execution, he left her a note signed, Your Valentine. Wow. I think it's so cool to get those background stories every now and then. Sometimes I just think of Valentine's Day, like, I don't know, it's just a cheesy Hallmark thing. Right, right. And uh, that's good stuff. Well, that's I read elsewhere, too, that while while in prison, uh, young lovers were said to have sent him letters declaring love over war wow. be- because of his sort of, like, subtle opposition to, uh, I think it was uh, Roman Emperor Claudius II, who had, who had banned marriages sort of in order to recruit for his military. And uh, so he was sort of secretly performing these, these wow. weddings. And while in prison, these young lovers were sending him notes of encouragement declaring... Uh, love over war, and I think that's context that you don't really sense kind of in a modern Hallmark version of what Valentine's little, Day has become. It's a little more than like the picture you tweeted today of all the guys <laughs> trying to find cards right, right. at CVS. I know. I don't know what was worse, that or the or that you were taking pictures of them, right? So, um, But Valentine's Day, man, it, it, I'm wondering, you just had a baby. You've been married two or three years. I've been married 19 years. Valentine's Day, bigger deal for you now that you're married or when you were dating? Oh, I, I mean, this may not be a popular opinion. I love Valentine's Day. Do you? I, I really, I do. I just like the, I like the, ch- now, I, again, I think we should be, we should be caring for and loving our spouses 365 days a year. Sometimes I feel like Valentine's Day feels like this strange ceasefire from the chaos. Yeah. But sometimes that's a good reason to... I mean, I, I can't over the air say what we're doing because I'm going to try and surprise my wife. But, like, I I like the challenge. I like the opportunity to carve out time to just spend time kind of focusing on her and us. Yeah. And, like, again, I want to do a better and better job of that just as a husband in general. But I, I do kind of like it. The the problem that I sometimes have with it is that it, it can often feel like Singleness Awareness Day. And I don't feel like churches tend to do a real good job of speaking life into singles. It's, yeah. it's like – it's like people believe that Genesis says the haves shall become whole, not yeah. the two shall become one. And there's all this wrapped up in this idea that, like, you know, singleness is like the junior varsity to the varsity of marriage. Yeah. And I just think that's I think that's really unhelpful and not biblical. And I don't know. So sometimes the, the shadow side of Valentine's Day is I think it can perpetuate yeah. some unhelpful depictions and caricatures of love. But I don't, I don't think it's all bad. So, A, you already told me what you're doing tonight, so I just might just blurt it out. Oh, gosh. Just in case your wife is listening along with Donald Trump. (laughs) Honey, Uh, turn the radio off right now, please. (laughs) Hey, we're not allowed to do that. We don't tell anybody (laughs) to turn the radio off. Fair enough. But I'm wondering, uh, you have an interesting perspective on this because you were single for a lot longer. We talked about this before. You got married in your 30s. I got married at 22. Yep. Um, and so I'm curious, what was Valentine's Day like for you as a single guy? Yeah, it was uh, honestly, it was tough. Was it? it was really tough, and I, and nobody would ever outright say it, but there there was always sort of this subtle sense that like being single was being less than. Mm-hmm. Which I, I mean, the Apostle Paul, Jesus himself, should yep. obliterate that idea. Jesus, the perfect human, uh, was a single person. Yeah, is a single like to me that is. Uh, it, it was like so right under my nose, but it was hard to hear that in the thick fog of. Honestly, really feeling like 
man, when I get married, then I'll be complete. Then, then right. I'll be whole. And I love marriage. I love my marriage. I love my wife. But it doesn't make you whole. I still, I still have the same issues and hangups. And I think sometimes even just the subtlety of not ever being addressed, single people can feel less than. You're yeah. like, oh, where, do, where am I supposed to go? Where are the small groups designed for me? Where are the conferences and workshops? And it can feel kind of isolating. And so I think as a single person, for a long time, I felt like I was in a holding pattern that I'll start living once I'm married. Yeah. And sometimes I, I'm, I regret not living the kind of life like not pursuing the things that I think I should have been because I was like, oh, once this happens, yeah, th- then I'll be complete. I just don't think that's found in the Bible at all. And and if and if you're listening and you're single, like please know you're not less a person by any stretch. To to don't put off the work of growing in your relationship with Christ, uh, giving back to your community, like investing in relationships. Not the wait to do any of those things because yeah. there's nothing wrong with you. There's total opportunity in singleness, and I totally. I just think that you. You hit the nail on the head saying, Jesus was single. I think that's enough. Oh, you need more Paul was single. <laughs> oh, to- totally. And totally. I, I know cultures are different, but even being single then was probably a bigger deal. So, yes. Um, yeah, having gotten married so young, don't, if my wife is listening, I would still choose to get married young. But oh. there is something to look back on. I wonder what it would have been like to have been single and what how my life would have been different. So, yeah. well, happy Valentine's Day out there, whether you. Uh, whichever stage of life you are in, uh, we're excited for you. We're excited to hear the stories of what Ian did with his wife and the big, <laughs> big plan. So, well, again, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Coming up next, we're going to take a little bit of a turn because not only is today Valentine's Day, uh, it's also the one-year anniversary of the tragedy at Parkland uh, at that high school, that shooting last year. And right. I want to talk a little bit about that and reflect a little bit on some lessons, even some of us who don't even live around there can learn from that. So that's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, again joined by Ian Simpkins. And uh, in our first segment, man, we just wish people a happy Valentine's Day. Today's a happy day uh, for a lot of people. Uh, We did say that, you know, for some people, single uh, or otherwise, it's it's not as happy as a yeah. day. Sometimes it can be a struggle, but right. um, but Valentine's Day culturally is meant to be a day of celebration. Right. It's a happy day. Um, but I, I want to share a little story from this morning that kind of hit me like a ton of bricks, man, and want to mm. just kind of dump it on you and 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 hear your response to this. This morning, today, I was reminded while listening um, to another show that I like to listen to that today is the one year anniversary right. uh, of the shooting at Parkland at, at Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. Uh, it was on Valentine's Day of last year. Right, seventeen children, seventeen high school students were killed, wow. um, and it is it is like created a movement that we'll talk about another day. Right, and I when I brought this up to you before, I think we both said this is not about guns. Right, like not that we're scared to talk about that, but what really hit me was it's not about guns on a day like today. It's instead about the tragedy. And I was reminded of just watching it last year and 17 high school kids uh, needlessly and senselessly being killed. And I was listening to the show and one of the hosts actually lives in Parkland. He said Hmm. he lives um, like less than a quarter mile from the high school. And he described how it's the center of the town and all this stuff. And he described his feelings on that day where he was and everything and then he reflected a little bit on like what has it done to the city and to his own life Mm. he said the city's nicer like people it it has had an effect you always think people just go back to normal he's like my town is different wow it is different for good 
But then he said, one of the regrets that a lot of people had on that day, as you listen to their stories afterwards, was like it was just another day. And so their kids were getting ready for school. They were getting ready for work. And they didn't take the time to tell their kid, I love you, or mm. to hug them. Mm. And I just I, I felt the weight of that regret. And he said the difference it's made in his life is uh, they've taken that from their neighbors and this. And now him and his kids and his wife, he said, I don't care how late we are or whatever. I hug every one of my kids before mm. I leave for school, wow. before they leave for school. And I tell them that I love them. And I, and I don't take for granted that that something inexplicably uh, tragic can happen in the course of a day. And it's a little dark, but it's real life. Yeah, it's real life. And and I was driving. Ironically, I listened to this just after dropping my children off at school. Oh, wow. And um, I, I was I found myself really emotional, mm. just like, man, I can't imagine the heartbreak of that. And just the potential of that, I do want that to affect how I live my life and treat my kids now. Yeah. Uh, so it's heavy, but it also is a perspective shifter. Yep. Like, how am I going to live my day-to-day life knowing that tomorrow is not um, uh, is not promised to me or my children? Right. Um, man, I still get worried. Every time I hear a cop car during mm. the school day, I'm like, mm. I get tense. And, mm. uh, you know, if you send your kids to public schools, one thing you're going to have to deal with is like, I'm super thankful that my kids have fire drills and the schools think about these things. But now your kids have an active shooter drill. Right. At least my kids do. And I remember the first time my daughter told me that I was really happy that the school does that and unbelievably heartbroken that she has to go through that. That, that it even has to be a thing. Oh, my right. gosh. Unbelievably heartbroken. So that's what I did. I was just that's where my thoughts went this morning listening mm. to this guy talk mm. and saw some tweets of like some mom and dads who lost their kids. And I was just I just felt the weight of that again. And it was like, oh, we can't forget that these things are like life altering for not just for the country, but for those specific people. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, we're, we're at very different uh, places in terms of our, our fatherhood. Like my oldest is only 15 months old. And so I'm arguably still maybe in the, the honeymoon phase. But like I'm I'm sure that I've weirded out our neighbors because <laughs> I will like leave and then I'll come running back to the house like five or six times like just to say Bye again to my like it's it's really really fun for him like he's not yet to the like dad you know he's not annoyed with me yet um and it's all still really fresh for me and so I like like coming home and seeing him standing in our front door I love that is the greatest moment of my whole day and I know there's there's gonna come a day where he's just not excited at all that dad just pulled up and that's uh that's fine I realize that's that's part of it so us being at different stages I think is um certainly worth noting but i also think that what you're what you're touching on is a space that's hard to live in it's kind of like what we've talked about when we officiate funerals yes it has a way of sort of snapping us out of our sleepwalk state and seeing the people around us the most important relationships and say man i got to stop putting off calling you or making time for coffee or going out for di-. like yep. you guys are the people that i care about why does it so often take tragedy for us to like snap out of this autopilot mode that we so often find ourselves in I'd like to say that I'm getting better at it, but I don't. I don't know that I am because, yeah. you know, something else is going to distract me and take my attention away from the things that matter. And the the dichotomy is that so often the people that are closest to us, the ones who are the of greatest value to us, um, are typically the most forgiving. Yeah. And I think subtly at some subconscious level, like ah, I can put in like three or four more long evenings yep. this week because my wife will forgive me. My kids will understand. That's and I don't want to be that kind of dad. And I don't want to be that kind of husband. I want to make priorities and commitments to invest and be present and not just in terms of hours away, but also the commitment to be fully present when I'm physically there. Like my wife and I both joke about this. We'll put the kids to bed 
and then it's the next the next five minutes are silent because we're both scrolling on Facebook. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like we're so relieved to have some time yes. to ourselves, and we're both. I mean, I'm worse at it than she is, to yep. be fair. But like, even in in terms of that, like, oh, I don't want to miss. Those moments, those yeah. opportunities, not to get all Aerosmith, you know, like, <laughs> I don't want to close my eyes, but like that, that is a very real struggle for me to Absolutely. be, to really be present and to live the things that I say I value, but to actually have the courage to say that means sometimes saying no to other things, to yes. not rushing out the door, to not taking one more phone call or answering one more email saying, nope, this is done for now because I'm investing here way easier said than done. Yeah. You know? I feel like uh, you're right. We're in different stages with kids. And yeah. so when I go home and open the front door, uh, nobody runs up to me and grabs my leg. <laughs> right? Like That's my favorite thing about our little dog because the dog still runs up to me. Uh, you heard so, it here first, folks. Brian exactly. likes his dog the most. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I get that. But yeah. you know what I'm learning? Because I have a high schooler and I've got a fifth grader and a fourth grader. They still uh, – I think it's it's a false – uh, it's not true that they don't want to be loved and shown mm. the affection of their of their mm. mom and dad, and they don't want to. My boy still likes to cuddle in his bed. That's my awesome. daughter still wants to talk about her day, especially with my wife. Like they'll every night, you know, they sit on her bed and they talk about her day. She's in high school. Like most of us have been conditioned. Like when your kids in high school, they just want to lock their door and right, not. Right, right, right. I, I have not found that to be true. I think they get conditioned because we as adults or parents like start to distance ourselves. So yeah. I think pushing in I, I i don't ever feel pushback from my children and maybe that's i'm awesome. just lucky maybe maybe some people do but i don't ever feel pushback that when i come in yeah that now does my does my high school girl always want a hug or always right, want to say right, i right. love you in public no they're still human yeah but, <laughs> but they do still like mom and dad and they still want to be loved and cared for in that way and then uh, that's a gift man that's I, awesome but i think it's true more i i hope it's true for most people i i think um you, you know we only have so many years with these kids. Right, <laughs> like, right. I don't want to look back and be like, oh, man, I really wish I loved them more. Well, and I think we're wired for it far more profoundly than we typically give credit. Like, with, the thing that has kind of blown me away is that Owen, our oldest, doesn't even have – like, he can't even speak yet. Like, yeah. he thinks he's speaking. But <laughs> we, we noticed this really early on. When mom and dad hug, he, like, stops what he's doing and smiles and giggles. Really? He doesn't even know what a hug is. Awesome. And when he watches us hug, there's like something innate in his humanity that says, yeah, yeah, that's good. Like, I like, I like that. I think that's, but that's kind of blown me away how much he's hardwired for like affection and care. And I don't think we ever outgrow that. We shouldn't. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I just wanted to share that today because that was heavy on my soul. Uh, And it was like a, it was Kind of a, it rocked me to the point of going, yeah, I need to start doing a better job of not rushing out the door, but loving my kids. Yeah, don't we all, man? And this kind of stuff. And and shame on us that it takes a tragedy like that, but also let's not waste the tragedy hmm. and, and know those things. Hmm. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the musician Gunger uh, and his declaration that it's time for something new. So we're going to discuss that coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois. Joined, as always, by Ian Simpkins. Ian is the teaching pastor at Community Christian Church, the Yellow Box in Naperville. 
And uh, again, happy Valentine's Day to everybody <laughs> out there. And Ian and I discussed earlier that we gave each other roses. So, <laughs> oh gosh, uh, we are. <laughs> this is getting worse and worse as the show progresses. Every time we come back, <laughs> something <every> addition. <laughs> There's a candlelight dinner between us right now that we're enjoying as we talk. Oh, gosh. Oh, that's funny. Anyway, uh, no good transition from that, but we'll transition. Again, if you want to follow us on Facebook, you could do so at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, so, Ian, you're the, you're the musician of, of us here. but we both <laughs> The musician of us. Of us. You're wow. the musician. But we both enjoy um, – Good music, and there's a well-known Christian group, uh, the Gunger. Yep. Um, I was telling you before I was singing for you that that I'm fully aware of their their song uh, "Beautiful Things." Uh-huh. I think that's what it's called, right? Yep. I will not sing it for our listeners. Please audience, sing it, right? Just but, a little bit. Nope, nope, All nope. Right. I tried. Um, it, but Gunger came out recently and interestingly and said uh, that they are ending. They're yep. done. Yep. And the quote is, it's time for something new. Yep. So talk to us a little bit about this, and then we're going to play a clip and then discuss it a little bit. So, yeah, Michael Gunger and his wife Lisa have been on uh, quite a journey the last few years. In fact, Lisa uh, just wrote uh, a book called The Most Beautiful Thing I've Ever Seen, Opening Your Eyes to Wonder. And it's it's a beautiful book, and it's about – Deconstruction. It's about having a kid with special needs. It's about like you know growing up and working in uh, professional evangelical circles. And uh, the band has recently decided to um, to end. And so part of the blog that I want to read from Michael Gunger uh, is sort of a jumping off point for he writes: uh, We love where we come from. We've loved the journey, but strangely enough, we feel like that journey is over. Gunger feels to us like it's done what it needed to do. It said what it needed to say, and now it's time for something new. Of course, this doesn't mean we're going to stop making music. Music is a part of who we are. And like I mentioned, we already have a bunch of stuff recorded, and we're trying to figure out what to do with uh, brand and marketing-wise. But as for Gunger, we simply don't feel the need to keep trying to write new stories on the same old paper. Hmm. And it's a little bit veiled, but that's a little bit cryptic. But um, Michael Gunger is also uh, a part of a podcast called The Liturgist. And uh, in that podcast, he's been really honest even about some of his own deconstruction, and he's even like, dipped a toe in atheism and then kind of came out the other side in a, mm. in a much kind of different theological sense. And um, as a part of the promo for Lisa's book, um, she shared a little bit of the beginning of this deconstruction for the for the both of them. And I just thought it was articulated so um, brilliantly in such a fascinating take on um, the internal struggle of like challenging the stuff that she'd been handed her entire life. I, don't, I want to share just a little bit of that clip right now. Yep. I remember looking around going, what am I doing here? What am I building with my life? We realize we're no good for this place that we're at because our ideas have changed so much and that we needed to leave. I started weeping and crying and freaking out, going, what are we doing? We don't know what we're doing. Do you realize what we just left? Like, we left all of our security and we started becoming heretics, you know. We go to Denver. We end up starting a little house church in our apartment. Our whole goal for it was that it was inclusive and that it was vulnerable and that it was this place that we had always dreamed of church being. And something about her talking about the vulnerability of church mm-hmm. and how important that was. And uh, there's a big part of me that resonates with that. And I, I don't think I'm alone in that, that yeah. people long for church not just to be an event that they attend once a week or, or even an address or a group of people, but a, like a place uh, a vulnerability, a, a place of transformation, a place of honesty. And uh, it's been my experience that not everyone feels that's what church is or even what it should yeah. be. And it's it's interesting to hear Gunger talk about it because they kind of made their career 
um, writing a couple of really mega popular Christian songs. And I think, just for the record, they're exceptional musicians. Absolutely. They far exceed, I think, the typical musicianship yeah. of that particular market. And then to have this very real, very public sort of dismantling of their version of Christianity is fascinating to me. And I'd, I'd love to kind of hear some of your thoughts because, yeah. one, they're in the public eye. But, two, they're starting to, like, they're starting to poke out – poke at some things that they're not quite sure how to answer. And as they're deconstructing, they're finding themselves in an infrastructure that they they felt like they just couldn't live in anymore. And on one hand, I think I appreciate them being honest yes. about that journey, about that struggle. And you and I have talked about there's things that we've probably preached that we don't even believe anymore. How, how, do, you, how do you deconstruct or ask questions or push back or change your opinion at all in a position like that of a pastor or, or a public figure – where a lot of times there's record of what you've said or like things right. you've written. Right. How, how, what does that journey look like for you? How do you grow and mature in your faith without feeling this like uh, constant pressure to adhere to the same stuff that you believed 15 years ago? Yeah, uh, I let me. I'll speak to it first with this public figure thing, uh, like Gunger or other band people, because and then I'll speak to it as a pastor. What's interesting to me about this is it's. It does say things about them, but it also says things about how we view. If you can, you, if you could see me right now, you'd see my air quotes, like the Christian celebrities, right? Yeah, right. That they've got it all, the answers done, and they've got it all wrapped up, and they're hardened clay. They're not moldable, and so then people run up against the the people like Gunger having, you know, if you will, a crisis of faith. Hmm. You run up against people like Jen Hatmaker, if you will, who've been held up by like one version of evangelicalism, and then she starts to change her views. Right, right, right. And people, that's not okay, yeah. right? People want to crucify her, or over and over. Joshua Harris, right, uh-huh. like, writes the book on youth dating, on teen dating yep. that we all grew up with, right? I kissed dating goodbye, and now he's just put out a documentary. He says, ah, I was wrong. Yeah, right. And and it reminds me that, you know what, sometimes we hold up these, these authors, uh, pastors, bands— and say, oh, they've got it all together. I'm gonna like, I'm gonna just listen to them without any thought. Right. And then they they go, well, I wasn't. I don't know. My, my mind is changing on this. Mm. I'm doing this. Mm. So for me, the first thing I get from this is just be like, enjoy the music and uh, uh, and and wrestle with what they're what they're going through without going. Oh my gosh, they're a heretic. Oh my gosh, they're going to hell. Mm. Um, so that's one. As a pastor, one thing I would say is that. Um, this is where you and I talked about this yesterday. This is where I want my church to see me as a person mm. and not as like an all-knowing pastor. Right. Because when they start viewing me as one who knows everything, has all my questions answered, doesn't right. sin or whatever, and then I have questions, right. my only option is to fake it or to quit my job. Wow. And that's not fair to the church, nor is it fair to me. Right. Because, yeah, people out there, this might make you unsettled, but we're both pastors, and we don't have our theology all figured out. <laughs> and if you come across a pastor who says he, has his, he or she have their theology all figured out, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust that pastor. Right. And so this is where the authenticity of relationship becomes important, where my church looks at me and says, hey, we really love you. Mm. Uh, wow, you are wrestling. Let's wrestle together. Let's try to do that. That's what how I want to do it as a pastor. So for me with this story, it's be careful what you put on the celebrity. Yeah. They're, they're not even asked to be put on them. Right. And be care you know, as your pastor, view them in a in a 
as a human who's yeah. wrestling in this. That's kind of where I go with this. Well, there's a book I read years ago. Maybe this is a whole other conversation sometime called um, – the book's called The Sin of Certainty, Why God Desires Our Trust More Than Our Correct Beliefs mm. by a guy named Peter Enns. And uh, I, I know that he can certainly be controversial. Yes. In his, but that idea of certainty – is not actually the goal, and you and I were both raised maybe in traditions that uh, communicated yeah. subtly otherwise that it was it was our certainty that saved us, which maybe never was actually said overtly, but maybe yep. I just maybe that was more caught than taught. But this yep. idea of of like growth and formation and evolving ideas about the cosmic questions, uh, man, my hope is that our churches yep. would be safe places for people yes. to grapple with that and to say. I don't know that I believe the exact same thing I did when I was 20, even though I was also in ministry when I was in, when right. I was 20 and to provide space, hopefully for those conversations, for that dialogue, much like we're hoping that this show will be. Absolutely. I, and I guess what I would say is as I get older and you get older, I, there are certain things that I think we need to be certain about and can be certain about. But when we're younger, it's like, we're supposed to be certain about everything. Yeah. Right. And I think right. the older I get, the more I realize, you know what, there's less things that are black and white. Yep. Um, and that's kind of what, why we're doing this show is to right. kind of raise those and have those conversations. Uh, well, coming up next, we're excited to be joined by Ron Zappia. Ron is, uh, and his wife, uh, he is not only the pastor of High Point Church, but Ron and his wife have just written a great marriage book. So we're going to talk to him about that coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined again by Ian Simpkins on this Valentine's Day (laughs) uh, and this Valentine's Week, Ian. And what better thing that we could do is celebrating love and celebrating marriage uh, than to to bring on some people who have written about it recently. So uh, with that in mind, we are excited to be joined by Ron and Jody Zappia. Uh, They've recently written a book called The Marriage Knot. Seven Choices That Keep Couples Together. By way of background, uh, a lot of you in the area might know Ron. He has served as a senior pastor at High Point Church uh, and is the founder of High Point Ministries. So, uh, Ron and Jody, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Brian and Ian, it's great. To, it is awesome to talk to you guys, and we're, we're excited. We're thankful for the common good. You guys are, uh, it's a great program, and we're, we're really excited for you. So, good uh-huh. stuff, and uh, hey, we'd love to talk about this, great. talk about uh, love, <laughs> on Valentine's Day and what's going on and everything. So I know you guys got all your, you know, you've already got the reservations Done. made. Absolutely. Planned and the chocolate <laughs> flowers have already been delivered. I, I mean, I'm sure that's what's happened. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, we're ready. You know, all the flowers, you know, they're all lining my house right now. And <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm taking notes as you guys talk. Women like flowers? Is, is that chocolates? Uh, yeah, well, hey, <laughs> what are these flowers you speak of? Yeah, you've been married. You've been married as long as Jody and I, and it's kind of like, ah, okay, here we go. We got, we got it's another day. <laughs> well, it, well, that's the funny thing. That's the funny thing. My wife and I have been married for 19 years. So we always tell people we were married when we were 11. So, and uh, but Ian's only been married like two or three years. So it's it's fun. It's fun. Well, I just as we're starting here, we just said you guys just released a book called The Marriage Knot, and I guess uh, yeah. very broadly, uh, why a marriage book? What compelled the two of you? Uh, to take the time to write a book to try to strengthen marriages? Yeah, you know, that's a really great question. And uh, in in so many ways, it's it's really the f- uh, fabric of our faith. It's how we came to Christ. So Jody and I, uh, we grew up in non-Christian homes and weren't following God. I mean, it was, you know, we dated through high school, high school sweethearts, the whole mm-hmm. thing, and, um, you know, went to different colleges and 
you know, uh, wound up, uh, you know, long distance relationship and Chicago was our home. And this is mm. where we finally came together. She was living in Connecticut and I was living here in, or I was living in Cleveland. And so Chicago was our place. And quite honestly, I mean, not to, to, to be the one to, uh, you know, to, to, to put the bad news on the day here. It was like <laughs> our first year of marriage. It was a disaster. So, wow. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, we really, we were in crisis mode. And, and that was really, you know, what we did was that's how we found Jesus is in the midst of marriage crisis. Oh, wow. Uh, Jody, in fairness, was going to divorce me in year number one, and rightfully so, wow. uh, for what I was doing. And uh, so that, you know, that was the thing. Next thing we need, God put our marriage back together. And, um, you know, I, I didn't have this ministry on the radar and, and uh, you know, got involved in ministry. And, uh, and, and we do these conferences and help people with our marriage. It's marriages to help them and uh, glorify God. And that's, uh, that's kind of how, uh, what, what happened. And Moody approached us with this opportunity for this book. And so uh, we decided, Hey, let's put the story on paper. Well, Ron, can I, can I just say anecdotally too, Brian and I are both pastors and we're often talking about kind of pulling back the veil of like yeah. who we actually are. Like you offering up the fact that the first year was, <laughs> was painfully difficult and that you're on the brink of divorce. Like even just yeah. as a pastor, and I'm, thank you for like offering that information yeah. up because I think so often the idea is that like, well, the, yeah, pastors admit it. We don't, we don't need any help. We wrote this book for you guys, <laughs> but we, we're a ministry. We figured it like, hey. I, I so appreciate that posture of like, yeah, hey, we're, we struggle too. Like we need help. Right. I think right. that's really hey, important. Our, our mess, yeah. Our mess became our message. And I know, uh, you know, some people have heard that said before and it was certainly true for us. That's so good. We, you guys have come up with the 10 commandments of healthy communication. And, uh, I know that I'm sure nobody listening has any difficulty communicating uh, with their spouse <laughs> or loved ones, but could you just share maybe one or two of your favorite of those 10 commandments? Yeah, sure. Uh, Joe, do you want to jump in? Um, sure. You know, we, we, um, thanks for having us by Absolutely. the way. And I was, I was going to say, I wish we could say we have this master, but it's not a choice to keep couples together. We, we work on them every day. Yeah. <laughs> So it's not, uh, you know, it's not a one and done thing, but, um, you know, thanks. We're thankful to God because he has used it to refine us and uh, grow us closer to him. So, um, yeah, in in the, um, the 10 commandments, a couple of them are found, um, right in scripture, right in James, uh, chapter one, for instance. Hmm. Um, and that's where it talks about, um, so be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Hmm. And right there, we kind of come up with a, with an equation almost. You know, if you, if you do those two things, if you're quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to, you know, it'll help with this whole issue of anger. And so mm-hmm. what we're talking about in the Ten Commandments, a lot of it has to do with a healthy conflict resolution. That's good. Because a lot can be resolved um, if we can um, use our communication in a way that's, you know, honoring to each other and um, to God. Um, and as much as we can head off on the on the front end and not let it escalate into craziness, you mm. know, that's kind of where we all get into trouble. But um, just out of that uh, one, yeah, easier said than done. <laughs> yes. Yeah, easier said than done. Hey, listen, on average, married couples communicate only twenty seven minutes per week. Whoa. Think about that for a moment. That's no what kidding. statistics tell us. And so, you know, do the math. It's less than four minutes per day. Now, I know, Brian, you said 19 years. Ian, a couple yep. you got banked. I'm sure you're doing better than that. <laughs> that, that is, that's the average. And, you know, so really it's so important that, um, you know, we find ourselves in situations where, you know, we need to ch- not only choose our words carefully, but we need to withhold words appropriately. And as a guy, let's mm-hmm. face it, you know, 
we got to do this, man. We, thou shall listen intently is one of them. That's and good. I've got to give my full attention to Jody. That means putting the paper down, putting the phone down, making eye contact. I mean, looking in her eyes. And I don't know what it is about guys, but we just have trouble mm-hmm. and, and listening. And, hey, just nod your head a couple times. <laughs> I mean, but we, we have, you know, we have real issues with, with deep communication. And, and it saddens our heart because I, I know you guys know this, too, as pastors. You know, that's the first thing people will say or feel like they can say. Uh, it, when they're in the midst of some marriage difficulty, is well, we got a communication problem. Yeah, mm. and so you know, you certainly have heard that, and uh, you know, we always talk about this. There's words you can cut out. You know, obviously, name calling and swearing and things like that. There's words that need to be changed out, mm. like always and never. And you know, those are fighting words. Those are just throwing gasoline on the fire. You know, you always do this. You never do that. Yeah. So there's words to cut out. There's words to change out. And we always talk about this. There's words to call out. And so what I mean by that is, you know, giving your uh, your spouse and even your kids, you know, permission that, hey, if you got a, a, a word that's not edifying, that you'll do this, that, that you know, we're going to call you out on it. And, uh, you know, there's a verse in Ephesians chapter 4, which I know many of us are familiar with, verse 29, that says, no, let no unwholesome uh, talk uh, come from your mouth, but only right. that which is edifying. Right. And so if we did this, uh, we used to do this with our, our kids when they were smaller, and, uh, you know, we used to say, okay, if anybody's like borderline on what they're saying, anybody in the family can say 429. <laughs> so anybody could call out. You know, and so Jody, Jody and I, we're, we're, we're driving back from a vacation, you know, Hilton Head Island, get packed everybody in the SUV. And, you know, we don't think the kids are listening. We got, you know, one of them is, is in the car seat. And all of a sudden we're starting to talk about things. And, you know, it's probably some family issue or some crisis in the family, like always happens. Or if us three pastors are honest, it could have been about church. I don't know. And all of a sudden out of the car seat in the back, I mean, my, my daughter could barely string together three words and she goes, 429 immediate conviction but uh, you know communication is so important and, yeah. and critical in in the marriage relationship yeah just curious um you guys do a marriage conference that has this image of the knot this book is called the marriage yeah. knot why the image of the knot what are you trying to paint there yeah. well you know they talk about getting married they talk about calling it tying the knot so yeah. that's kind of where the that idea came from but for the book it's it's you know not if they go unchecked they can over time kind of become loosened or if it's getting yanked on one side and not the other it can Mm. come apart completely um so the 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 point here is that uh, we need to strengthen it on a regular basis with these choices it's 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 an intentional decision to um make our marriage a priority and work at it well, that's great. Well, Ryan, yeah, and, you know, ahead, just yeah. like anything else, it's, yeah, it's just, you know, it, it, that marriage is, and for us, our first year, we're going to tell you, it completely unraveled. And so I don't want to miss this. Yeah. That, um, you know, the reality is that for us, these were the biblical choices that we learned that we need to do and we need to continue to do to strengthen our marriage so that we can have success. Well, Ron and Jody, thank you so much for joining us today. That's The Marriage Knot. We'd encourage you all to get that book. And you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. 
Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AIM 1160. My name is Brian Fromm. I am joined again by Ian Simpkins. Uh, If you want to follow us on Facebook, you can do so at The Common Good Radio Show, The Common Good Radio Show, or online at 1160hope.com. There you can find old shows uh, and other show content. Well, Ian, speaking of Facebook, I feel like we end up talking about it a lot. (laughs) For better or for worse. Exactly. Well, that's what I want to get at. Uh, Facebook, good or bad for you? Love it, <laughs> love it, or hate it, or a little more nuanced. Go. Can I say both? Uh, maybe. I knew that's what you were going to say. I mean, but... it's how I feel. It, I, I, it's. I think it can be really useful. Yeah. You want to talk about me specifically, you right? Specifically. So, so keep it, keep it. Uh, Just mi- you, micro. You. I, yeah, I think it can be helpful. You know, my family uh, mostly is in Detroit. I have a brother in China. Like, it's it's yeah. enabled us to like keep up with each other and see photos and all that. But we've mentioned this before. I, I'm. I'm not thrilled, I think, with how it's developing as a as a pattern in my life. And I'll sometimes I'll be four minutes into scrolling before I realize like what am I scrolling for? What am I like, what am I <laughs> what am I doing? What's the and I you know where it actually cropped up for me recently what's was that? there was an event we were throwing and somebody was upset that they hadn't been notified and uh, I said, Oh, I made a Facebook event and they're like, Oh well, I'm not on Facebook. And like the feeling that I felt first was irritation at the person. <laughs> it's like yeah. what do you mean you don't have Facebook? Like that never was the case ten years ago. Yeah. I was secretly irritated that they didn't get the event invite because they're not on Facebook. And I was like, well, get with it, man. What are you? I was like, oh, I don't like that. I don't like that instinct in me. That wasn't good. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm with you. Like, uh, I've now said it multiple times. I loved being off Facebook this summer, and I got back on. Yeah, right. When the summer was over. And I think that encapsulates how I feel about Facebook. (laughs) Um, It's like an on-again, off-again relationship between you and Facebook. Exactly. Uh, but there's been a, a fascinating study as you and I were kind of doing some research about Facebook and thinking about this. There was a fascinating study that was reported at The Economist, and it, sa- it found this, that 2.3 billion people, which is 30 percent of the world's population, engage with Facebook each month. That number is astounding. Yeah, that's to me. bonkers. Uh, but they did this. Um, they did this study. There were. Uh, scholars from New York University and from Stanford University. And here's what they decided to do. They decided to take a group of people and at the end of 2018, have them remove themselves from Facebook. Uh, I believe it was for four weeks. Yeah. And so this was the group that they observed them. They made sure they didn't get back on Facebook. They took the app off their phone. And then they also had, obviously, the control group of people who remained on Facebook. And it was only four weeks. So we're just talking about a month. Yeah. And what they decided to do, what they were trying to figure out was what differences happened in that group yep. that, that cut Facebook cold turkey from their life for four weeks. Yes. It's like, wow, this is fascinating. Let's see what they do. Here's what they found out. Those booted off of Facebook enjoyed an additional hour of free time on average. They tended not to redistribute those minutes to other websites and social networks, but chose instead to watch more television and spend more time with friends and family. They consumed much less news. This is fascinating. And were thus less aware of events, but also were less polarized in their views about them than those still on the network. Leaving Facebook boosted self-reported happiness and reduced feelings of depression and anxiety. There is a lot there. Which one you want to tackle first? Well, I mean, first off, I'm not even surprised. Like it, it is affirming, I think, to see it in black and white, to know that like intelligent people conducted an actual study. Because you know, 
it's one thing to have a gut feeling like, oh, I think this thing collectively is making us more depressed and anxious. I think it's contributing to the polarization of humanity. Yeah. But then to actually see the raw data of like, nope, that's actually that is actually happening. It's not calling the network evil. It's not saying that I, none of us should have smartphones or social networks. I'm not, I'm not saying any of that. I just think in, in light of what even what you were saying, you experienced this like mini euphoria yes. <laughs> being off it this summer and yet still went back. Therein lies the question for me. Like, wh- why is it that you objectively experienced the joy of being off of Facebook, but not so much joy that you wanted to walk away from it forever? Yeah. Like, there still was some allure to some degree. Like, oh, I should. And I don't know. Has that affected your? Have Have you been on Facebook less uh, frequently since your sabbatical, or do your patterns look similar to before the sabbatical? Yeah, this is where I'm either honest or I tell people what I think. Would make <laughs> Please me look be better. honest. No, it's been the same. Really? Yeah, it's been the same. I, it has not changed one bit. It, like getting back into it immediately, you went back to where you were before. No kidding. It, for me, at least. Maybe yeah, other right, people right, were right. able to get off it and then come back. It's like some mm. mid room. For me, it was like, all right, post a picture. Did somebody like it? Who commented? Here we go. And then, of course, there was some justification for me going, well, we're starting a radio show, so I've got to be on there. So I got to do this. Um, but man, this is unbelievable. The, the news one is the one that stuck out to me that yeah. people consumed less news. Right. That's a hundred percent true. And they were less polarized about that news. And like, that's all you need to see there. Like Facebook is not a neutral deal hmm. where we're just like, Oh yeah, no, I'm just getting the news. It's their algorithms, <laughs> right, right, There's right. all sorts of stuff to point you in a direction. And I think we often treat Facebook like, Oh, it's just a place to see pictures and do this and that. And it's far from it. What's amazing to me is that they found this was a scientific study. This is not I'm sure they would have been happy to find out, oh, there was no difference in people. Yeah. But they're saying they you were less biased, you gained more time, uh you were less depressed and less anxious. So why aren't all of us running <laughs> why aren't you and I right now deleting it off of our phone? Why aren't people everywhere going, let's shut this thing down, let's get off of it. Yeah, I think I mean a lot of it comes down to justification, right? And I, you know, I was sharing with somebody a couple days ago, I got this message randomly from a guy who uh, I don't I don't know, and he just wrote me this really kind message, and he said, "Thanks for being my internet pastor." And I was like, "Oh man, that was really kind and was like strangely meaningful." Because sometimes you know you fling stuff out in the internet, and you're like, "Does this even is this helpful? Does this matter?" You know, like I'm always like really self conscious about like feeling like I'm self promoting, you know, and yet I post probably way too much. Like that's the weird dichotomy. Like I'm really self conscious about these things. But it hasn't like affected my behavior. And then I get a message like that. I'm like, oh, see? Okay, so maybe there is some good with this platform. This guy that I don't know at all is being encouraged and hopefully like meeting Jesus in a unique way that maybe he otherwise wouldn't have. But then the, the flip of that to me is, oh, he would have found somebody else. It doesn't have to be Ian. Like, you know, how arrogant of me to think, oh, man, I'm making a difference in this guy's life. So yeah. I, to me, I think a lot of it comes down to the, the justification of of how it can be good. And that sometimes I think perpetuates habits that are are less than helpful, which is, again, not to keep beating a dead horse, it's why I think Sabbath rhythms yeah. are so important. Like, my, my wife and I are talking about just doing Facebook Free Friday. Like, what if we just say every Friday, neither of us go on Facebook at all? Yeah. And we did, our, we, had, we did our first trial run of it last week, and it was great. That's awesome. And now we still have Instagram and Twitter. You know? so <laughs> I just, it didn't mean that we were off our phones, but I thought, man, let's make more, like, courageous decisions like that just as a family – to choose strategic times to be on, but also strategic times to be off. Yeah, and I just, you know, for me, a study like this is not 
it does not go Facebook bad. Everybody run right. Like, yeah, right, right. But I think what you're talking about there is really important. What what can I, what nuggets can I take from this mm. that you know if you find yourself you know depressed and anxious, maybe taking some time away from Facebook, see what it does, yeah. see if it'll help. Yes, and also just realizing what it does to your news consumption, I think is really important. That's brilliant. Well, and I think too to to not be ill informed, but to be aware of the polarization that does happen when we are mindlessly consuming news and media. Yeah. Uh, I'll probably go on Facebook later tonight to check what people thought about this segment. (laughs) Again, you can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Well, I'm Brian Fromm, joined again by Ian Simpkins. This is The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the concept of rest and anxiety. I see a common thread here, but... (laughs) We're going to talk about rest. We're going to talk about anxiety. Uh, That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. My name is Brian Fromm, joined again by Ian Simpkins. Happy Valentine's Day. We just keep saying it. (laughs) No, you keep saying it. I know. It's Valentine's Day, man. What time of year? (laughs) I'm fine with that. Just don't let me in with that. That's all. Yeah. I feel like our producer might be a little sad on Valentine's Day. Oh, Josh, you good? Good. They can't good. hear it. They can't hear it. I know. I'm looking for a thumbs up. Yeah, he's good. He's good. Okay. Okay. Well, again, this is The Common Good on AM 1160. You can follow us online at 1160hope.com or on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. So, hmm. Ian, you and I are both pastors. I lead at Four Corners Community Church in Darien, and you at... Community Christian Church in Naperville. Hmm. Uh, and so every now and then we, we try to uh, tackle things very pastorally, like just theology questions people have, things people wrestle with. Uh, and I want to do that for a minute here. Um, so over at Desiring God, they do this thing where they can write in questions, right? Hmm. Yep. And I found this question to be fascinating, and I would just love your thoughts and, and to have this conversation with you. The, the questioner asks this, over and over in the Bible, God tells us to rest in him. Yeah. When I'm going through trials of various sorts, or even in good times, I don't exactly know what it means to rest in Jesus. I'm a naturally anxious person, mm. so I need to learn. I think this question is asked by so many people, yeah. and the people who aren't asking it aren't being honest with themselves, right? We're stressed, we're anxious, and then we open up our Bible and says, don't be anxious. Right. Don't worry right. about God's it. Got, God's <laughs> got it in control. He right. gives you rest. My burden is light. And then it gives us more anxiety because we're anxious, and it just kind of goes yeah. and goes. So just pastorally or personally, talk to us about that concept of anxiety and rest and the burden is light, but there's stress. How do you put that all together? Well, first, let me just say, I'm, I'm not of the belief that there aren't cases where uh, medication is necessary and helpful. Counseling yes. and therapy is necessary and helpful. Like, p- please hear that first. There's so many churches out there that want to shame people yep. for doing taking some of those routes. I don't think, I, I mean, again, case by case, neither of us are clinicians in that regard, but I, I you know. That, to me, is a certainly viable option for a Christ follower. Mm-hmm. I also think sometimes um, this is the uniqueness of our job. It's because preaching isn't usually a dialogue. Mm. So we can say these things. And I know that people in the chairs are like, wait, how do I do that? <laughs> like, <laughs> you you know, you came up with some sort of poetic language. Oh, Jesus gives us rest. And I've often said things like Jesus doesn't just teach about rest or point us towards rest. He gives us rest. Yeah. And I thought, okay, so what is it about Jesus, you, you know, the the uh, the context here is about these yokes, right? And we've talked about the yokes that oxen would wear. Yep. And uh, he doesn't say, "I'll take 
away all your yokes. He said, I've, I have a different yoke for you, a yoke mm. that arguably a yoke that fits. Um, that fitting of a yoke, I think, is really important because it doesn't mean that we all just sort of like find our chi and sort of float throughout yeah. our day, right? There is still work to be done and there is stuff that will weigh on us. But he says, my, my yoke is different. And I've often thought about it in terms of music. Mm. You know, in, in musical notation, there's something called a rest. And like when I was learning to play drums, I had no concept of that at all. Like there was no, my dad had a drum set in the basement. It's sort of this shrine to Keith Moon. And one day I came home and I was really angry. And I was like, can I go hit those things? And my mom was like, yeah, go for it. My dad's buddy, who's a drummer, came over and heard me just like going all over the place. And he came down and taught me about rest and rhythms. And he said, rest and rhythms are what determine the difference between music and mere noise. Mm. And I thought, and that's kind of true for life too, right? Without rest, it's just a wall of noise. It's true yeah. in music and it's true in our life. So to like preemptively learn to establish some of these Sabbath rhythms and saying no and hitting pause, but that doesn't always, you know, quote unquote, do it. Sometimes we can have all the, the best rhythms in the world yeah. and still feel anxious, still feel like I'm running a million miles a minute. And I think that's kind of the heart of the question. Like, all right, I'm doing the quote-unquote right things. Why do I still feel this way? And I don't know. That's a, that's a pretty complicated question. How, how would you as a pastor engage with that? It is complicated. I'm with you too. Like there are people who uh, it's not just anxiety from stress or life, but you just have a medical condition that's, that's of anxiety that requires medication and counseling. Like we, I'm a firm believer in that as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's something to be said because as you were talking, like, yeah, what? So, what does Jesus's uh, yoke look like? What what makes it different, right? Because mm. he's also talking about the yoke of the Pharisees and that they right. they put rules and regulations and everything. And I think there's something to be said about um, the the acceptance that we have in Christ, the grace that we find in Christ hmm. uh, that that gives us that, that it's just less burdensome. Yep. It right. gives us perspective. Does that mean that work is never stressful? Does that mean that kids don't ever drive us up? No, it's all true life. But there's something about the foundational, um, uh, the, the what we build the foundation upon yeah. that says, you know what, but I know that in Christ I'm a child of God. I'm more loved than I could ever be. And there's something reassuring about that, I yeah. think. Uh, you know, and then you flip to Philippians, and Paul says, "Don't be anxious about anything." And usually, when we read that part of the verse, we're like, "Oh, that makes me more anxious." Yeah, right. But he gives the reason, right? But he says, "But by prayer and petition, present your request to God." And then it's a promise that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Mm. And it doesn't say that Jesus will take all your problems away, but it says instead that as I take things to him in prayer, that the promise is some sort of peace. And so for us, mm. you know, do we have to have all the answers for that? No, we have to say. All right, I'm going to try this prayer thing. Yeah, right. Because he promises, and he's good with his promises, and not believe things that he didn't promise, that all my problems will go away. But instead, mm. he's going to provide peace. Uh, his yoke will be easy, and he's going to provide rest of some sort. Well, you know, and honestly, sometimes sometimes I think it's way less philosophical than all that. Sometimes I think it's just take a nap. In fact, if you're, <laughs> yes. if you're listening, sometimes I think the holiest thing we can do is just take a nap. Yep. Like, to give ourselves space and permission to say... I I just need to rest. Like that's that's and I think that's a t that's too a little bit of a mini rebellion because our culture says we need to always be on, always doing, always accomplishing. Um, for me, what's always convicting is that sometimes the thing behind the thing that when I don't allow myself to actually take a nap or to just watch a movie with my wife, that's because like I'm there's something else as a, as a god in my yeah. life right now. Something else is an idol, whether that's success or accomplishments or yeah. being seen in a certain way. And I think 
yes, Sabbath rhythms, that can feel really hard to tackle. Sometimes we need to just say no. You know, I had a mentor that used to say no is a complete sentence. <laughs> you, don't, <laughs> you don't always have to give yeah. a rationale or a background. I remember reading years ago, there's somebody found this, um, some of these old documents from the, from the Talmud, and the, the original text was, uh, was on the page, and the original text had these wide margins around the text um, but part of what Jesus was going after were these Pharisees and all these additional laws, this yoke that was mm. choking people out. And they found these original manuscripts where there were all these additional writings in wow. all the margins of the Talmud. And I thought, man, what a beautiful and frustrating picture of what yeah. we often do. God designed us for margin, for Rhett to create this space. And so often we fill it. We fill in the yeah. margins with our own rules, our own ideas of what we're supposed to be doing with our life. And I think that that image, just seeing that, yeah. has always been so convicting for me. That's powerful. Uh, again, one thing I like about doing this show day in and day out, I think we go back to the same things that are foundational. And I think the, the key to this conversation, again, is identity. Yeah. Am I secure in who I am in Christ? Well, then I will take a nap. I will rest. I will trust him and not be defined by what I can do and what I can accomplish. It doesn't. Right. I think what you and I also want people to hear is it doesn't mean life will be not stressful. Mm. It's just there's a matter of perspective there. Yeah. Well, I think it's ultimately making sure that Jesus isn't just in our top three, right? Mm. That he's actually – it's like when you arrange a room. Every room has a focal point whether you like it or not. You know, mm. like if it's the TV, then you'll arrange your furniture around that TV. Right? I think in our lives, if Jesus isn't ultimately – the center and the focus are we're going to organize our lives around something. Yeah. And so the idea isn't just man, like have better theological answers. It's like total complete dying to ourselves each and every day, each and every moment saying, okay, ultimately my identity first and foremost, Christ is mm-hmm. that I'm loved by you. And then we begin to kind of orient our furniture around that reality. And that, I think that makes a tremendous difference. Yeah. And then you can go to the, I remember the first time somebody called napping a spiritual discipline. Totally. And I thought they were joking and they were like, no, no, I'm being serious. Like That's sometimes, right. The best thing you could do for your faith and your life totally. and your health is to take a nap. And preach. Like, oh, okay. Preach it. Yeah, that, that's that's where you'll get your your amen if you in your churches <laughs> right there. Uh, go take a nap. Amen. You got amen. it. I'm, I'm napping right now. <laughs> I've been napping for the last 25 minutes, Pastor. <laughs> that's good. Well, you're listening to the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined again by Ian Simpkins. And uh, we enjoy doing this show. We enjoy having laughs, but we also enjoy uh, bringing up topics that can be hard, that can be ones that we don't agree on, or, uh, but we really want to uh, spark dialogue and, and just recognize that there's gray areas in this life. Even for us Christ followers, there's gray areas, and not everything is always tied up uh, nicely. So... Do I have to tell you happy Valentine's Day again? I mean, you don't have to. We're doing it every segment now. I'm, again, you're doing it every segment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm distancing myself from that particular pattern. <laughs> Guilty as charged. Well, happy Valentine's Day, my oh, co-host. thanks, man. You, you too. <laughs> there it goes. New York Times had a really fascinating article uh, I was thumbing through the other day, uh, and I looked it up, and it's just called this. You ready? Uh, seriously, juice is not healthy. Yeah. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you, were, you were mad? I thought, you know, so we all know that there's an obesity crisis in our, in our society. The New York Times here says that obesity affects 40% of adults and 19% of children in the United States and accounts for more than $168 billion in healthcare spending each year that sugary beverages are thought to be one of the main drivers of the obesity epidemic. 
And uh, these d- drinks we often think of as soda, right? Like, don't let your kid drink soda. Don't drink soda. But what this uh, article is telling us is that juice, which we just throw on our kids at all times, <laughs> right? You're probably already doing it with your kids <laughs> yeah, at a young right. age. That juice is at least almost, if not all the way up, as much a culprit as soda. Yeah. And that that <laughs> this article uses the phrase gateway beverage. <laughs> that the more juice kids drink as little kids, the more likely they are to drink soda and yeah. drink other stuff. Uh, I f- this article kind of rocked my world a little bit, man. Well, my, my buddy posted this a few days ago, and the comments uh, underneath it were fascinating because they were kind of like your reactions. Yes. Like what you know, The article says, um, juice for some reason gets a pass, and it's not clear why. Americans drink a lot of juice. The average adult drinks 6.6 gallons per year. And more than half of preschool-age kids, which is 2 to 5, drink juice regularly, a proportion that, unlike for sodas, has not budged in recent decades. These children consume, on average, 10 ounces per day, more than twice the amount recommended by the American Academy of Pediatrics. So wow. it's, it is sort of this stigma, this um, unresearched position that, like, well, yeah, juice, it's got a picture of an orange on it. Uh, how, <laughs> yes. how bad could it be? In fact, uh, on average, a 12-ounce glass of orange juice contains 10 teaspoons of sugar, which is roughly what's in a can of Coke. So there is sort of this, like, it's sort of cognitive dissonance, right? We look at uh, a can of Coke, and we think, oh, bad. Oh, we shouldn't get that to our kids. We look at, you know, a bottle of Tropicana, we're like, oh, good, healthy, yes. vitamin C. And a lot of that has to do with branding and marketing, and I'm maybe showing some of my cards. I think it's more than that. I think that there's more levers being pulled behind the scenes. But, yeah. like, it is pretty fascinating that we sort of, and I say we, there are a lot of people that are, you know, much wiser to this than I am, but without really questioning it, like, yeah, it's got, it's got a kiwi on the front. It's got a strawberry that's dancing. It's like, of course, it's good for me and my kids to drink 10 times a day. And, we, you know, and my wife's way more attuned to a lot of this stuff. Like yes. we put a little bit of juice in a bottle full of mostly water sometimes. Yes. Like she's she's pretty onto it. But like I, most of the, the stats from this article I was dumbfounded by. I had no yeah. idea. Like, it's really pretty humbling. It says that children's excessive consumption of juice has been linked to an increased risk of weight gain, shorter stature, and cavities. Even in the absence of weight gain, sugar consumption worsens blood pressure and increases cholesterol. And so, uh, you know, as a parent, now I'm like, do I pick this battle with my kids? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Do I fight this battle? I mean, this is a big one. I think part of the issue that, uh, for me, makes this story so compelling, though, is it's kind of like the lies we believe without challenging them, mm. right? And maybe not to go too mega spiritual, nah, but like for it. it is sort of this, cat. you know, we think blindly juice is healthy. And if someone were to actually ask me, like yesterday, why do you think juice is healthy? I wouldn't have a good answer for them. Like I'm a 35-year-old man. Yeah. And, and if somebody asked me, why? Why do you think that? I would have zero statistical evidence to support my claim that it's healthy. And I think sometimes we do that. In our spiritual lives as well, uh, for good and bad, like things that I believe about myself or things I believe about um, maybe people who disagree with me or things that I don't have uh, adequate information about. It's so easy. It's sort of like the temptation of groupthink, right? Mob justice, Mm. like, oh, everyone else seems to be on board with this or against this. I guess I should be, too. Sort of that like passive swimming in the stream of juice is healthy is, I think, a microcosm of how our brains work and how we work socially sometimes where we need to be willing to say, Hey, I know we're all kind of swimming in this stream and not to be the wet blanket here, but is this a good idea? Like, is this true? Do we, should we hold this position? Has anybody talked to the other side? Has anyone done any research on this? 
I think part of the stigma is that like being the person that asks those questions, sometimes you're you're not the most loved person at the party. Like right. everyone kind of rolls their eye. You know, if I brought up, hey guys, you know, juice isn't healthy <laughs> at a party, people are like, here goes Simpkins again. Uh, okay. But it's a really important, I think, cognitive exercise for yes. us to at times say, I believed this thing for a long time. And I don't know that I actually have any evidence to support it. Yeah. Is that okay? And should I be responsible for going out and getting the information that I need? Yeah, because it, everyone always knew. I, I had a, what I'd like to affectionately call a little bit of an addiction over the last uh, decade or so to diet soda. Oh, okay. The diet Coke. Got it. And, you know, when I first started it, it was like, well, it, it's better than regular Coke. It's going to help you yeah, lose weight. Sure. And then all of a sudden, man, did everything turn. It's like <laughs> my wife is forwarding me articles of like, Drinking Diet Coke fries your brain. And then I would drink it, and my kids would be like, Dad, why are you frying your brain? Like, oh, oh, man. Should we talk about your mom's coffee right now? Like, <laughs> should we go down that road? And, and But eventually, you know, like, things start to move. Like like you said, groupthink. Like, okay, everyone believes, and now, mm. but, like, you know, it's it's like a, it's not that big a deal, right? Like, juice. But but it, it does open the door to bigger stuff where, like, we all, like, it's popular to believe this, but, like, Oh, I should be asking these questions. And like, is that true? Is orange juice always good? Is apple juice? Is this? And then, and then it extends to bigger things. That yeah, right. Lives. Well, it kind of makes me think of the uh, the Covington Catholic Boys story from the March mm. for Life right, with the MAGA hats. This, the, the first part of the story came out and everyone from one particular line of thinking like jumped on this conclusion and then more video came out. And then the other side was, and you yeah. know, and like as this story unfolded, there were very few voices that were saying, you know what, my bad. Like I yeah. I jumped to a conclusion or I, I was literally just joining the chorus of all the people that I already agreed with, right, which is the definition of confirmation bias. Yes. I didn't take the time to actually say, ah, is there more going on here? Am I getting the full picture? And I think social media contributes to that. Sometimes religion contributes to that, Absolutely. right? Like, oh, you know, the we're good, they're bad mentality yeah. is not a, a new sentiment. And I think – that can sometimes rear its head in really subtle, ugly ways, and it's it isn't ultimately just about juice. That's kind of yeah. why I find this story fascinating yep. because there's a lot that maybe we believe without ever having done the homework. Like I find people often will share things and they'll admit in their sharing, I haven't read this yet, I'm saving it for later. <laughs> I'm like, there's other ways to save articles. What if it's like total what if it's total nonsense? You've yes. just flung that out in the internet now. Like how can we be more responsible and think critically about things that we're inclined to just agree with or support to do so in a way that like honors the process of research and investigation? Yeah, and then our culture really plays into that because people will just believe something because it's what people believe. Like, yeah, well, everyone's right. believing this and I must do this. Right. Should I feel guilty that last week my wife, while she was in Florida, that I packed a Capri Sun in my kids' uh, lunch <laughs> every single day? <laughs> Should I be feeling guilty about this? I think that's mostly just about how difficult those are to get the straws <laughs> in. Like, I how, Okay, I, I know can't. we got to end this segment here in a minute, but how have they not fixed that? Like, it's like they're doing it on purpose because it's their thing, but... Oh, I'm sure Sure it is. It's it's a conspiracy. I'm sure they're just trying to mess with oh, us. Oh, it's a conspiracy. All right. It's a conspiracy. Well, on this Valentine's Day, it has come time to land this plane. So coming up next, uh, we're going to end with just some uh, internet insanity, interweb insanity. That's what you like to call it, <laughs> interweb insanity. Uh, just some funny stuff we found on the internet as we close out this show on this Valentine's Day. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined by Ian Simpkins. 
Again, you can find old shows at 1160hope.com, or you can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. I want people to go there tonight and wish you a happy Valentine's Day. Just me, not you? Sure. <laughs> because I'm more you're of the newlywed? The, you got the, you're the newlywed. <laughs> you got the newborn. You got all this stuff. So. I'm not that desperate for affirmation. You, you don't have to do that if you're listening. <laughs> okay. I tried for you, I man. appreciate that. I was doing it for you. Uh so always in this last segment, we've talked about some good stuff, some hard stuff, some funny stuff today, and we always try to, as I like to say, land the plane with just some funny things we found on the internet. So uh, why don't you start us off today, my friend? Why don't I start us off? This first one comes from England. You know what? Before we ever started doing this, I never would have guessed <laughs> how, how many obsessed, how many crazy stories there would be that come out of England. Yes, yeah, uh, This title kind of says it all. It says, Tinder for Cows... Matches livestock in the mood for love. And I'm just going to keep reading if you'll allow me. A Tinder-inspired app is helping farmers match up potential partners for their cattle. <laughs> it's called Tutter, a mix of the dating app Tinder and Utter. Tutter. <laughs> and it, lets, it lets farmers swipe right on cattle they'd like, they like the look of. I can't believe we live in a universe where this this is a reality. I don't know if I should laugh or cry at this point. One of my kids' favorite commercials is when that Farmers Only comes on because they're like, this is a joke, right, Dad? I'm like, no, no, no. That one I actually get. That makes sense to me. I'm not a farmer, but that for cows, I don't I – I feel old just being upset by this. <laughs> cows. <laughs> you should be upset about this. Guess what state I'm going to here. Is it Jersey? No. All right. Oh, we're going for insanity here. Florida. Oh, all right. We're back at Florida. It says, for the second time in as many weeks, a Florida man... We actually did this a week ago. We did the first one. Now we're doing the second oh, one. Oh, my word. For the second time in as many weeks, a Florida man has been arrested for battering a woman with a burrito. Well, that's not funny. Because it it's a burrito. It's not going to hurt. He threw the burrito uh, at his at the woman, and she called the cops. Uh, the contents of the burrito dispersed across her neck, and uh, there you go. He, uh, <laughs> he got arrested... For throwing a burrito. Burritos can be heavy, man, depending on where you're getting your burrito from. Whatever. Yeah, I'm, I'm distancing myself from that story, too. Okay, this one's out of Maine. It says, <laughs> I can't even get through this. Fleeing Maine bank robber slips, spills money and gun in front of lieutenant. It says it was a scene right out of a movie. The lone man brandishing a handgun walked into a bank or savings bank on the upper Main Street Tuesday morning, robbed the bank and fled. But what uh, happened next, no one could have predicted. And apparently he ran across a bunch of lanes of traffic and just slipped on the ice and found himself face to face with the main state uh, police lieutenant who just happened to be parked in the right place at the right time. Like literally out, a scene out of a movie, tripping, money spills everywhere, loses his gun. And I just imagine it like sliding to the feet of the lieutenant. <laughs> and he's, like, <laughs> he's just sitting there shaking his head. Just, no, oh, you can't so do good. this. So can't good. Oh, that's funny. Okay, North Carolina. While his girlfriend was having her taxes done, so she's, you know, at a, at a reputable accountant getting her taxes done, <laughs> North Carolina man robbed the bank across the street. <laughs> having your taxes prepared, the article begins, can be a tedious process. A North Carolina man sought out another way to spend his time Tuesday after accompanying his girlfriend to have her taxes filed. Uh they said that while his girlfriend was getting help on her taxes at a Liberty Tax Service, Stanley Rogers walked across the street and robbed a Wells Fargo uh, bank. Gosh. Shortly after 11, police responded, uh, but they didn't have to go far to find him. That's because after Rogers gave a teller a note demanding money, police said he left the bank with an undisclosed amount of cash. 
in return to the Liberty Tax Service oh where his girlfriend gosh. was still having her taxes filed. <laughs> Five minutes later, police came in and they arrested the man. I, there's just, he deserved to get arrested. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> I have no words. He just deserved it. All right, here's, here's another story of love. I know you're, uh, you're in the mood to talk about stories of love. This yeah. one comes out of Vermont. The headline says, couple holds wedding in Walmart flower department. <laughs> A Vermont couple who met while working at their local Walmart paid tribute to their history by holding their wedding ceremony at the store. That's awesome. That's I kind of love that. I'm not I'm not going to lie. Judge me if you must. I'm judging you. That's fine. I lo- I'm a sucker for these kinds of stories. I think that's that would be really surprising though. Like you're just walking in to get a gallon of milk though. <laughs> and there's like a whole ceremony taking place in the flower department. That would be uh, unnerving. E- that's terrible. Like, uh, come on now. Like, if my daughters, one of my daughters came home and the, and, the, and the boy's like, hey, I'd like to marry your daughter. And I'm like, yeah, you know, tell me more. And he's like, yeah, I thought we'd get married in, like, aisle four of the flower section of Walmart. <laughs> Maybe I'd be happy because it saves me on the bill. Yeah, but that's what I'm thinking. I don't know. that. Uh, yeah. Okay. To each their own. Sure. To each their own. You said this one was dark, but I'm going with it anyway. Oh, Canada. Canada. Uh, mystery deepens as cops unable to ID a human foot that washed up on the Vancouver shore. I was right. That is dark. Canadian authorities on Monday said that they were unable to identify the person whose foot was found last year in a blue sock and a gray Nike sneaker that washed up. Here's the amazing part. The foot, which was discovered in September of 2018, is the 15th time in just over a decade that a human foot was discovered on the British Columbia shoreline. More than half of them have determined to come from people with a- in accidents, but before, they couldn't figure out where this foot came from. Can you imagine that you're walking on the shoreline right there? You're just hanging out, and, and you look down. And you're like, oh, it's a shoe. <laughs> oh, no, it's not. It's a full foot. See, discovering the origins of that, that would be an amazing feat, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> wouldn't it? You think the guy walking up was like, ah, oh, something is afoot here. That's... <laughs> I'd just be like, oh, this job, this task stinks. Uh, <laughs> they probably had to call a tow truck, though, didn't they? That's... <laughs> All right, moving on. No, let's keep going with No, that. no, good. we got to stop. We got to stop. Believe, I can't believe you left that one. I have to. Yeah, I have to. It's a sickness, man. I'll just keep going. You uh, left? My, my next couple are weird, but they're also kind of fascinating in a weird kind of dark sense. And This is in Pennsylvania. It says, woman mistakenly placed on death master file. <laughs> Nicole Landon received the mortifying email from American Express last month. <laughs> the email said, um, or she said, my anxiety probably shot up to like 150 because the email said, uh, it says we regret to inform you and express our sincere condolences on the passing of Nicole Landon, <laughs> which is who she is. Landon figured uh, American Express must have made a simple mistake, but soon she realized she was financially paralyzed. And uh, the information I was getting it snowballed to my health insurance, my 401k. Oh, Obviously, so my, my job couldn't deposit any money into my account. And apparently, um, this happens to thousands of people every single year. They're accidentally thousands? placed they're accidentally placed on the death master file. I've never heard of this in my life and apparently it's something that happens all the time. All the time. That's crazy, isn't it? And it's bad like my first thought was like, "Hey, when you get that letter, are you like, am I dead?" Like, is this like a dream? Is That's a what you think your response would be? I think so. And we need so, to have a separate I'm conversation, kidding, bro. <laughs> am I yeah, dead? But secondly, <laughs> Uh, you'd have to wonder, like, oh, do I have to pay taxes anymore? But now once you said, like, everything got frozen, you're like, okay, that's actually a bad thing. My first thought was, like, oh, maybe this is going to work out for you. I like that your impulse seems to be, though, that you go, like, on the lamb. 
Like, oh, well, I guess I, I guess I don't have to pay taxes anymore. Like, I'm going to move to the forest or something. Like, so, that seems to be the instinct that you have. So I'm going to end with a kicker from uh, from personal life. Because I was driving down the road the other day, and I saw something that was hopefully funny to people. Might be borderline not funny. Oh, boy. And the first thing I thought of was our kicker segment. Like, our funny this segment. And so I was like, oh. So in Downers Grove, where I live, on Ogden Avenue, uh, there is a an obesity clinic. Not funny. Not funny oh, right boy. now. Do you Here know what go. it's... I'm not joking. You need to drive down Ogden Avenue. You know what it's next door to? No. McDonald's. Oh, God. <laughs> That's just bad planning. I, and my first thought was to get out and take a picture of it and send it to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm honored. On this Valentine's Day. That means a lot, Brian. Thanks so much. Oh, there you go. Right, last my, one. Go here's my it. last one. It's, uh, it's just mostly fascinating. It's out of Washington, D.C. It says, traffic jams cost the U.S. $87 billion dollars. In lost productivity in 2018. Wow. It starts by saying time is money, and a new report shows just how much time and money Americans are wasting sitting in their cars and trucks. The total last year was $87 billion, or $1,384 per driver, according to uh, new data analyzed by the research firm Inrix. That is, I've never thought about the value of lost productivity being caught in traffic like that. I think that's fascinating. That is interesting. Huh, that's fascinating. Well, it's been another great show on this Valentine's Day. Ian, I hope you, you and your wife have a good time tonight. Thanks, man. We're able to get out and have some fun. And for the rest of us out there, hope it's a wonderful evening. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Have a great night.